This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. This week on the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast, we are joined again by another footballing man, former footballer George Maxwell. George combined his work as a PE teacher with playing for Kilmarnock Football Club. George had one of his school pupils, Gordon Smith, as a teammate during his early days, and then later on he coached Chris Boyd in his coaching career. Not only is he the highest scoring defender in the club's history, he's also crowned the man with the hardest shot in Scotland, which we'll ask him about very shortly. He's also going to give us a brief rundown on his career as a PE teacher and as a football player. And we'll talk a wee bit about the skills required to lead people to achieve a common goal within teaching and coaching. We'll finish off with his biggest challenges as a coach and how he overcame it. And also a wee bit about his best memories as a player and why he thought this was the case. So, Lewis, let's get another episode of Obo kicked off. Right, how are you doing, George? Welcome to the Wee Bit of Everton podcast. Um, how's your day been? Today, very quiet, uh, as ever at the moment. Golf tomorrow, but uh, quite a quiet day today. Well, lucky you, getting to go on the <laughs> golf course. <laughs> yeah. So, so where are you golfing tomorrow? Um, I've got a season ticket for Belle Isle, or South Ayrshire. Uh-huh. And that gives me eight courses. Right. We, we play, my pal and I play uh, Belle Isle or Seafield, which is just around the corner from me uh, most times. Which is really lovely. Nice, sounds so, good. Tomorrow, nice. nice, nice. It's been nice weather as well recently, so yeah. it keeps keeps up. Um, I that... playing. Some of your colleagues might know I'm playing with uh, a guy called Gordon Sain, uh, who was the Scottish volleyball captain for a few years back in the day. All uh, right, nice one. He's a really good. Well, he was uh, an excellent volleyball player. Um, he was head of PE at Drosna Academy. And then he became, I suppose you would call him the AQIO for uh-huh. Northampton. Play my home tomorrow. Might get your contact, his contact details then after this. If he's like, yeah, yeah, on. I will. I'll ask <laughs> him tomorrow. I'll ask him tomorrow. He and I have big arguments and discussions about where PE is. Still, still in the blood. Brilliant. I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about PE and also your experience as a football player. Um, yeah. A wee bit of coaching as well that you've done um, over the years. So, mm-hmm. just before we get on to that sort of side of it, could you give a brief rundown in your career today in terms of sort of PE and your, the football world? Okay. Uh, well, in terms of PE, I started at Irvine Royal Academy with a day at Kilmarnock Baths, teaching primary pupils to swim and secondary in the afternoon. 
then I moved on to Auckland Harvey Academy and I was there until 1979. So that was like, came out 71, 71, 72, I was at Irvine, and then 72, 71, 72, 79, I was at uh, Irvine Royal Academy, you know, Auckland Harvey Academy, right. uh, which was a, a smashing time, really good time, uh, great department. Um, we all got on really well together. I had a smashing boss, uh, really lovely, lovely man. Um, and we just got on really well. You'll, you'll laugh, we used to fight to see who didn't get the Friday for the games hall for extracurricular. That was <laughs> what it was like. Everybody was doing, and there was always a, a fight to see who didn't get the death slot, which was the Friday afternoon. Um, after that, I became principal teacher at Main Home Academy in Air, and I was there for, well, from 1979 until 2004, 2004, because the school uh, got closed. I take no blame for closing the school, by the way, was my fault. What happened then? Asbestos was what they said. Oh, really? Oh, was it? Uh, the truth might have been exam results, but hey-ho, we won't go there. <laughs> Did, what, did they, what, what did they have to do then when obviously they closed the school? Did you have to get filtered into other, other schools around about? Or yeah, yeah. what happened was um, I, I had been on holiday. I mean, mm-hmm. and my head teacher, I was a, I was a deputy by then, but the, the deputy, uh, the head teacher was in China and he found out when some, some friend of his phoned him to say that the word was out, that the school was getting shut down. It was going to be temporary. So the idea was that they would decant us all out and there was lots of meetings about that and so on but they were going to decant us out to three schools um, and we would go back uh, after the asbestos was found and dealt with and so on um, but that never ever happened so the bottom line was I took 230 youngsters to Belmont Academy uh, and I was the deputy head with responsibility for all of them and all of the factors to do with them. So there was myself and two principal teachers again and we looked after effectively the the main home contingent. And then after a year or two, I think it was a year and a half, it was quite clear, lots of meetings, that they weren't going to open the school again. So we were subsumed into uh, Belmont Academy and then I, I was eventually after those interviews and all sorts of to see where the staff were going to go and whatever but I was merged into the, de- the senior management team at Belmont and that's where I finished up so that was the, the kind of teaching progression if you like um, the football side was um, well, I played boys club, plays for the boys brigade, etc. And then um, Kilmarnock signed in 68, left in 82, um, had a brief spell with Stranraa and Queen of the South. That was a year, half a season between them. And then I had a, a season as manager of Whitlitz, Victoria. Mm-hmm. And then I just, by that stage, um, I was concentrating in school and doing that and that was it. I became in 1980, 80, 79, 80, uh, 
because I was, I suppose you would say, heavily into basketball, I, I started refereeing basketball. And I, at that stage, I couldn't do both. That was impossible. So I, I kind of moved into basketball, believe it or not. But in those days, the basketball was big style. Um, I've bored folk with this story where I played, I think, for Stranraer against Dennis Muir at Oho View in front of 200 odd people on the Saturday. And then the Sunday, I refereed at Coasters in front of 2,000 folk. Um, that, that was how the basketball in Scotland was really quite big at that stage. There were two Americans in every team. And it was a great sport, isn't it, Lewis? Uh-huh. It, 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 it nearly took off in Scotland. There was big big crowds at a lot of the games. There was a lot of Americanism, razzmatazz. Coasters Arena was the ice rink in Falkirk. Right. Uh, and it was quite often full with people. Uh, and as I say, they, all of the teams had two pretty, I'll not say NBA-type players, but right. good Americans. Right. Uh-huh. So... And then what, about, what, about the, what about the coaching world? Have you done a bit of coaching, football? Uh, no, not in terms of just the school teams. I always took the school team. I always yep. took uh, I always took the under-13s in the early days. And then when I moved to uh, Belmont, no, sorry, that's rubbish. When I went to main home, there was a guy called Bill Morgan who took, he was a biology teacher, and he took the wee ones. And so I took the under-15s and I continued that to quite near the end. And then I stopped, again, pressures of being a deputy, et cetera, et cetera. And plus, uh, the football um, was changing with boys, with the boys' clubs and stuff at Belmont. So I, I just handed, up, handed the reins over. It was time for somebody else. That's so it was mainly school. Uh, I, 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 I took... As I say, the under 15s or under 13s, and I had a year at Quartlets Juniors, Quartlets Victoria. That was it. Right. No, it's a really rewarding job taking the school teams. Um, <laughs> something that's really I've missed actually because of COVID, and I've been able to take them. But right. Um, yeah. You spoke about teaching in the baths as well. It's an important life skill, isn't it? But a lot of schools don't have swimming pools now. What's your thoughts on on that? It's probably just in the facilities, I guess, isn't it? Well, it, it's again the the, the Going, going, taking folk to swimming, it was fine. I only did it way back when everybody, I think the authorities, everybody had to learn to swim. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of schools, didn't have uh, pools nearby, so you had to go to Kilmarnock or wherever for that kind of thing. But learning to swim is important for everybody. It should be. But I taught, I did a teaching practice back in the day in some chapel baths. <laughs> That shows you how long ago it was, and uh, teach the older, the older folk. It, it's uh, I could go into my my soapbox here about folk. The, the pupils would make more and more excuses, with notes, etc., etc., not to take part. And I think you young guys have got a quite a, a difficult job that maybe we didn't have, especially in the early days, um, about young folk who wouldn't you want to do? I give the expression of we did cross country running for a while in the winter time 
and then it just get more and more difficult where you had half the class were sitting out because yeah. their mums and dads had written them notes when they really shouldn't have been writing them notes mm-hmm. and getting on with it. Yeah, you speak to, you speak to like even when because I used to work in the the gym down at, at New Lanark before I got into my teaching and stuff like that. I mean, I was ever like I can even remember speaking to some some of the members and that, and they were obviously they had pupils that went to the the local high school, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> they were just even just like the conversation. Oh, what are you doing at uni? And I was telling them I was doing PE teaching, and then just like they just a lot of them didn't even value it as a subject at all, or they would even tell me that they've written their their, their son or daughter like notes to deliberately not take part because they just didn't see. Then they see a value in it, or that. Yeah, if, yeah. if that's coming from parents, then yeah, you're, you're struggling yeah. to get still, these kids engaged. There's still, a, there's still a huge, not legacy, it's still there that PE is uh, count, throwing bean bags and uh, mm-hmm. you know throwing a ball at them, and yeah. that's because a lot of elderly folk, maybe grandparents, parents, didn't have a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't have. Um, uh, how would you say I really and they, they remember things that were all oh, that was bad for PE mm-hmm. um, and I think that's changed quite a bit I came yeah. through lots and lots of periods of change I was lucky enough just as I was getting promoted to PE um, back in the day um, and you'll not remember this PE departments did what they liked they, they, they could run their own programmes and a lot of schools did um, football or rugby, gymnastics and athletics, and that was it. And if you were in a rugby school, you never saw a football and vice versa. And it was just, uh, they did what they wanted. And if they wanted to do extra, there was no, there was no sort of structure to it. Um, was, there no, was, there no I, any, was there no any assessments then or that? Was, wasn't any no, nothing, nothing. Was it purely um, performance-based then? And, and, and a lot of principal teachers were, were um, of the opinion that PE was for happiness and enjoyment. It wasn't going to be. And there was a, a gosh, this is heavy stuff, boys. <laughs> uh, there was a big, there was a big school of thought about um, PE and whether it should be certificated. And Back in the day, I, I, I was lucky enough, my advisor, because all the authorities had an advisor, so the advisors for PE seconded me, and we actually worked on a, what we called the core of the programme, and we were quite innovative in that. that we, we set out a programme which was a kind of broad skeleton of work that everybody should do. Uh, now, if it was a rugby school, they could go off to one side, or a football school another, or hockey, or whatever. But there was a basic core of the programme that everybody had to do, and all the schools had to, the PTs had to sign up for it. And that was a huge change. And a lot of the older, back in the day, the older PE teachers did not want that at all. They, they thought, PE was not to be certificated or it shouldn't be as structured, that it should be just pure enjoyment and fun. So do you you think it should still be like that? I think there's a place for both. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I I used to argue big style. Um, I'll tell you a wee story about that as well. I used to argue big style that if, if Lewis 
was good at art, then he can take art to advanced hire and he can go to uni and he can do whatever. But that road wasn't available to Clark, but Clark was really good at sport and he was well coordinated and he was quite gifted in whatever sport, he, but he couldn't. And I used to say, why? Music was another one. Music has always had a higher uh, place in the scheme of things somehow. It's much more academic, it's much more. And I used to argue that if somebody was good at football, why should they not be able to get, as they can now, what is it? I don't know what the scores are now. 20 out of 20 for advanced higher. Why not? Is it still, or did it go to 30? 30. Well, why can they know? If I'm, if I'm an s for Rangers and I'm, in, and I'm sitting at advanced higher PE, why can I not get... 30 out of 30, which gets me, well, you know, is it still 50% of your overall grade? Yeah. 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 So why not? Because if I'm good at art and I can draw well, I'll get that 50%. If I'm good on an instrument in music, I'll get it. But hey, mm. that was know. me on my philosophical so it, it makes sense, but because you're giving pupils kind of equal opportunities, it's just, <laughs> it, it requires just as much effort to take it to the top and a uh-huh. physical domain uh-huh. as it does in a kind of art or there's, expressive there's like music or that sort of stuff. Yeah, but there's still this perception, I don't know what it's like in your schools, there's still mm-hmm. a perception that PEs just throw them a ball. It's, it, it doesn't really matter. And sometimes PE teachers are their own worst enemies because they mm-hmm. do. Um, yeah. I'm not that daft. But uh, so there is a perception that you get, it, I, I used to get it all the time as a deputy. Like, they don't have marking, they don't have homework, they don't have, like, if you've got a higher class, you'll have work for that class. But if you've, if you've got a timetable filled up of um, core classes, mm-hmm. you'll not have any homework to mark. You'll not have any. Nowadays, it's much stricter and you'll have uh, learning outcomes to achieve and all of that stuff. All these other subjects are saying, aye, but as well as that, we've got higher classes and we've got, you know, English oh. is a good one. They, they get murdered, they get a lot, they have lots of homework to mark. I know, I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard people saying that when they're doing the timetable, it's always maths and English that are prioritised in terms of... Oh, always. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the last in. subjects. Yeah. yeah. He's always they're a bottom of the poor. Um, But that's also because they get five periods a week, or if if it's a 50 period week, 50 minute period, then they get uh, five a week. Yeah. I don't think it helps with uh, the prim- the primaries, no disrespect to the primary teachers, but I don't know if everyone's experienced a P in the primaries being the best, because sometimes you used to get punished and you weren't allowed to do P for the day if you want to behave See, and that stuff would, like that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't That's help the perception, does it? Definitely not. Uh, that, that was... That was a, a, a big thing. If you don't behave, you'll not get PE. Whereas PE should have been right in the core that it was important. Yeah. There was an experiment, one for your homework, called the Linwood experiment mm-hmm. uh, way back. And that was daily PE. Right. Uh, and I, there was a lecturer. Now, we see it. I think he might have been at Jordan Hill. John Polacek, I think his name was. And they did daily PE in Renfrewshire. And the attainment and the attendance shot up because 
the kids were getting daily PE. Plus, obviously, they're coming in to secondary school much more, hope not, not innately coordinated, but their skills are much more developed. I was, again, back in the day, we had, I don't know if you have it, we had a, my department was staffed with an extra point one, uh, an extra one, and that one was to go to the feeder primaries. Yeah. So within that, I, I would split up within the department. We'd share out, going out to the primaries so that there was a commonality coming in in S1 that they could all, maybe couldn't do it, but they had expo- they'd been exposed to this, this and this and that. A high school type PE lesson. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and, and also the skills mm-hmm. they would have been developing uh, would be consistent yeah. because we were all, we knew what we were going out to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you're right, if the wee wifey hated PE at school, was in charge of primary seven, they used to say, um, it was quite scary for a lot of the women and I don't mean that in a sexist way, but a lot of the primary sevens to go in to the gym and the boys are running a bit wild and whatever and whatever. Whereas in, in a classroom, they were quite controlled. When they get in the gym, mm-hmm. they found it quite daunting. Um, yeah. Some of them. But, you know. I think you're right, you're spot on there, because this is, I worked in a primary for a year and that was definitely the kind of common theme coming, coming from the, some of the teachers was that uh-huh. the health and safety aspect they were very... Yeah. Um, we were used to mo- we, we're used to them moving about and whatever. These, these uh, primary teachers were not. And it was quite... Some of them were great at it and loved it. The teachers, I mean. Yeah. There were others who didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, George, continuing on then with kind of talking about teaching and, and coaching, I'm sure you'll agree that they're, kind of, they're linked in terms of the skills that are required to lead people or groups of people to mm-hmm. a common goal. Who were the, the best coaches you played under and why do you think that was the case? Um, I, I, I think that mine's is qualified a wee bit um, because it's, it interlinks a wee bit with just who they were as people mm-hmm. and this comes back to if, if you're a good people person and you care about people, you're halfway there. Yeah. And if you show that you care about them, you're 60% there. Um, and if you're false, you'll get buried. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're genuinely caring, and, and so I had a BB officer, uh, a lovely man who took the BB team, and he was just... He, he never imposed, it was no skills and drills and techniques, but he was just, he, he imposed, uh, no, he didn't impose it, he just, he took the team and he was just great and we all loved him and respected him. And the, te- the teacher that took the school football team, again, a music teacher who was a season ticket holder at Rugby Park and he's, he's the light, he used to like to sit and watch me in the stand later on, but he, he was so dedicated and the amount of time and effort he put in to, to taking teams. He wasn't, we never did training or anything like that, but he just instilled a, a, a discipline, but not by authority, a discipline of behaviour, of managing, etc. So they were the early ones, without a doubt. 
Mm. Um, in the senior game, I would say there's, there's two. Um, Walter McRae signed me. Now, I think a lot of folk thought he was very authoritarian, but I thought he was ahead of his time a bit because he went away to the World Cup and he went to watch Helena Herrera when Inter Milan were doing the Catenaccio and stuff like that. And he brought back stuff and, and he started. Other places were doing it as well, but he started that we would be training with a ball. Now, back in the day, a lot of football, if you look at all the old books and stuff like that, it was um, lapping the track and running and running and running. And some managers right up to pretty recently uh, would be guilty of that. Walter always wanted he would train with the ball. Some of the training sessions were really tough with the ball, like physically tough, uh, because you were doing sets of sprints with the ball, but you were training with the ball a lot. And a lot of the stuff, I sometimes have a wee look at some of the training things on YouTube and that, and you see, ah, that's not far away from what we did. Um, so Walter McRae, and then later, David Sneddon, he, he, he was in a very, his, his problem was he, he maybe just wasn't tough enough with some of the people. Like human nature, you know, some folk, if you're not quite strict enough, strict's the wrong word, tough enough, then people take advantage of that. Mm. And he maybe allowed that. Uh, but he, he again, was a, a good manager. He was a people person. Um, they were the two, I would say. Um, Main influences. I think I was also, well, going, going on... Going on some of the coaching courses was good, um, but that was that takes you into a whole different with Craig Brown and these guys. Um, I was lucky enough to go on some of the courses with, well, Craig, um, Eddie Turnbull, uh, people like that who were top notch in their day. Um, but it's interesting we meet quite often. Well, every Wednesday, some of the older guys meet Craig. And Willie McLean, who was their manager, and he still thinks that um, the demise of football in Scotland is a bit because of the schools. Because when the strikes started and all the, uh, all the school games finished, and they never ever picked back up after that. Um, and he always thought it wasn't the coaching, but it was the... The, the, the discipline of it and I mean that with a small d being, being teachers keeping control of and making sure that kids did the right thing like they behave not behaves you know what I mean they, they, they played uh, properly in terms of the way the game should have been played um, and he still maintains that that was one of the demises and it wasn't so much that they were being these teachers were never teaching them going out at night and teaching them skills, but they were giving them a place to play in a really structured, they knew where they were, and they knew if they didn't do, then they wouldn't be, the, the teacher would have said, don't come back. Mm. Um, so that kind of attitude, I think. Yeah. It's interesting as well, I'm, I'm digressing a wee bit, is that um, we played lots and lots of small-sided games, Mm, any touches? Two touch. 
at, at Rugby Park, and uh, the biggest learning curve when you had to play one touch with good players. Mm-hmm. If you're playing one touch behind the goals, for example, at Rugby, when Rugby Park had the, the track, mm-hmm. you, we often went out and trained behind the goals, small sided, and one touch. Yeah. One As touch in just like we possession up. games or actual one touch? Ah, no, just five sides. Yeah, yeah. You just play games. And yeah. Having read the books and stuff, you, you you know that that's why the famous Bill Shankly, that was all they did at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. They played uh, lots and lots of five-a-sides mm-hmm. because it sharpens you up, everything's... And then Andy Roxburgh brought in the boxes, the famous boxes, Roy Small from Jordan Hill, SFA, the boxes, and they've developed that theme but the boxes were just 20 by 20 squares. You still see Liverpool at Melwood still do the, beast, the circle with two in the middle. Yeah. They get a bib of, you've seen it, I'm sure yeah. you've seen it. The rondos. They still do that. And that's, I mean, I, I did that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I had the bib a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the middle. Aye. You're in for two, isn't it? Not mind. Aye. That's it. <laughs> so there's, in, ma- in many respects, that's why I'm going back to Walter McRae and to Davy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the SFA took it on. I was a great fan of Andy Roxburgh um, and Craig um, and that, that group because they wanted to take away the boys' club element of winning trophies. And when they started Soccer Sixes, there was to be no coaching whatsoever. If anybody went to a game with their children or whatever, they, even the coaches, they had to stand at the side and not speak. Um, they could encourage, you know, but they couldn't coach uh, because the, the philosophy of the time was that the, the youngsters had to learn. And at six aside, they were getting um, they were getting lots and lots of touches of the ball. Uh, whereas... You know yourself, if you're playing 11 a side at under 12, well, the plague is all one down one side and it stays there for 10 minutes and then it runs away up the other side. And if one if one boy happened to be a foot bigger than everybody else, he just scored six goals and run past everybody. Um, <laughs> That's quite interesting, the stats though, like in an 11 a side football game, actually how little time out of the full 90 uh-huh. the players actually on the ball. Absolutely. I think Absolutely. the Celtic striker Albin Ayeti touched the ball 15 times on Saturday. Is that right? He played 90 minutes, yeah. still scored two goals. Hmm. Crazy, yeah. isn't it? They had on the but, phone, but, but, but the, 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 the difference is he's there in a professional capacity to score goals. Yeah, and I mean, and that, if he does that, he's But why are we as a nation no as good as all the rest? And I was playing golf with Paul Clark and Jim Clark uh, the other week, and we were talking about it, and it's the technical side of it that we're missing um, because nobody works. This will come on to my, one of your other questions. Nobody, they, there's, a, uh, there's a kind of culture of the, you don't need to work hard, it'll just happen. Mm-hmm. The, the last day, dare I say the real last day, what's her name? Emma, whatever. She's now flavour of the month. But if you're going to try to buy for the mm-hmm. amount of hard work yeah. that she had to do to get to where she is, it will be phenomenal. And I mm-hmm. haven't looked, but it will be sacrifices all over the place. On top of her exams yeah. and everything. 
and 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 I I don't think I don't uh, I don't think we um, we do enough on the technical side. When are we? How many times in a class? When are we getting a big game, sir? No, no. Every time. When are we getting a big game? Um, because they didn't want to learn the skills. And it's all pass, pass, pass as well. There should be more dribbling and finishing and one yeah. ones. Uh-huh. People have to learn, and they also have to learn good choice, bad choice. The good mm-hmm. players make good choices more often than the bad player. A bad player, um, a bad player will make more errors. Mm-hmm. A good player will make good choices, and the difference when a team's on song is. That the the decision making becomes a nanosecond or a second quicker all the time, and if you couple that in with the fact that when you're on form, you'll know yourself. If you're controlling the ball when you've had a good day, you don't even think about it. When you're having a bit of a nightmare, you're watching the ball right onto your toe because mm. you want to get it right because you're struggling. Whereas when it's all going well, it goes boom, 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 boom. Think about it. The, the two things, speed of thought, and also the, but having the technical ability married into that. Mm. That's my philosophy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, in, no, it's interesting to, to hear your thoughts on it as well in relation to obviously learning skills and that's the kind of key fundamentals before we can actually put if it into... If you can control the ball. Put it into games, I No, uh-huh. it, 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 control it. It does make sense, but you also get um, like these kind of teaching models, like teaching games for understanding, where it is the, it is mainly kind of modified games, obviously to suit the agent stage, and it's it's basically putting them into games versus mm-hmm. doing. It's, that's kind of trying to steer away from the, the skills practice side of things. I don't know what are your what are your thoughts on those kind of things. If done well, I suppose it's it's effective. Do you think it's maybe down to who you've got in front of you or what your I guess I guess what your philosophy is. Everything is, even to the extent of being a manager, that we were given at college, we were given the, the FA Guide to Coaching. Mm. And I think the first paragraph or the first chapter is, a good manager fits his tactics to suit the players he's got. He doesn't do it the other way around. Mm. He doesn't, you know, he, 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 he looks and sees what players he's got before he sets his tactics. A bad manager will say, we're going to play 4-3-3, no matter what players we've got. So we might, and that's the wrong way. Everything should be, I suppose in a fancy way, you call that pupil-centred, player-centred. Yes. What can they do? And you have to adapt. And when you get down into the primaries, or the, it's what, what level are they at? Yeah. What, so what do they, and it has to be fun. Mm-hmm. It just has to be fun. Uh, and that's the, the, the you're talking about the games and stuff like that. Everything mm. has to be enjoyable because yeah. the cult, culture's changed. Folk don't do things the way they if they if they don't like what they're seeing now, they'll go and do something else because mm. there's plenty of other things that they can go and do. Mm. Um, so the staying power isn't it? So you guys have got to enthuse them and make them. Uh, not make them. That's that is because you can't. You have to do some so they want to. Yeah. And if you get somebody that wants to do something, they'll do it well. 
Yeah. yeah. So, see, when you were teaching them, was there a big focus on, on like, that elite perspective you try to kind of develop the next football player? Because I think the, the, focus, mm-hmm. now, the focus now is more... Um, you know, it's not non-inclusive, but like I mean, holistic. holistic. But Lewis was saying there was like teaching games for understanding, so it's like inclusive for everybody rather than doing like just drills, drill after drill after drill. Well, oh, I, I, I mean, it's changed. It was in my day. It was we were teaching for the class, and the better ones would come lunchtime. You would say, right. "You come along at lunchtime, and we'll." develop you or you come and join the basketball club you come and join the badminton club yes but 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 we had in the early days under 13 trials i would have 50 boys putting their name down and you had to have two or three nights of trials and stuff like that to get them and then you work with it and that was different but in class time that was always always um, you were teaching to everybody. You weren't the training them. You were yeah. teaching them. I think so you, the, need, the needs in the class are just so mixed. You know what I mean? That's where yeah. it's so, trying to. So you have to, you have to within the class. I mean, a, a, a volleyball analogy is at the top end of the game. So you have maybe a v three v three game going, and at the bottom end, you'll maybe have uh, <laughs> the big soft mm-hmm. balloon or beach ball. Yeah. where they can actually catch it and pass it and throw it over the net because they can't play volleyball to the level at the top end of the hall. Yeah. And, and so within the, within the class, and they do that in all subjects. You stream them, I suppose, as the fans. You've got a lot of different things going on. Aye. So you, you would split your class. You would never whole school teach, mm-hmm. like whole class teach um, very well. You would do it maybe a wee bit at the beginning where everybody's doing the same thing. But by and large, you would try and split them quite quickly. Kids are very, very perceptive. Mm-hmm. They know. The kids don't need to be told or shown off that they're rubbish. They know. They, they know who struggles to catch the ball. I'm, being, I'm taking it to a silly limit now. They know in the class who's a good footballer. Yeah. They know who. who and, and it doesn't need to be boy-girl. It could be boy or girl. They know who are the able ones and the less able and it's to, I always, I always encouraged the less able. I spent less time at the top end than I did. I always spent time at the bottom end in class time. That was where I wanted to be. The top end could take care of themselves. And if you had a half decent class at all, they would play 3v3 to the cows come home. I'm talking volleyball again. Yeah. They would, or they would play across the, the gym. They would play 3v3 basketball and be happy. You would go up and make sure they were behaving and all that stuff of yeah. course but you'd spend more time with a game that couldn't get started because they weren't mm-hmm. skillful enough yeah. so you'd be spending time at that end far more that, that was just how I did it sometimes the behaviour can be challenging with, oh, with, well, the, with the top end because I mean, like, it gets really competitive and then it just that, ends up boiling over it, sometimes it's a different world from when I started in terms of my daughter's a PT guidance. Right. And uh, some of the horror stories I get now, and as a deputy toward the end, you know, I was, we were getting, let's just call them challenging situations. But um, I, 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 it's a different focus, focus, um, 
pupils are much different now, even in the five, six years since I've left, I think, listening to my daughter. The, yeah. It's harder. It's, it's much, much harder for you guys yeah. than, than it kind of was for us. But yeah, we had difficulties that. as well. I mean, I had a, I had a, a washing machine and a, a set of strips and a set of shorts and a set of, a set of shoes for the no-kitters. Mm-hmm. So it, it's always been there, but I think it's it, there's definitely a, a different kind of culture now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so right. So moving on a wee bit then, uh, George, as a as an aspiring uh, principal teacher myself, it'd be good to kind of get to know. Well, um, so what, um, kinda what was it like leading a department, and um, did you learn anything? Kind of throughout the years of your 24 years, what did you, what was your, <laughs> your key learning points yeah. throughout your time as your leading, leading staff? I think there's a few, there's a few pointers. Not that I'm a, was I ever perfect? Probably not. Definitely not. Um, you learn from people round about you. Yep. And so you'll have learned from the schools you're in and so on. And you'll, you'll also learn from within the school not necessarily the PE department. You'll pick up who are the wealth or, or who are the good guys <laughs> to go uh-huh. carrying the bar. I won't say the other one. But <laughs> who are the good guys? Um, and it's all about having a, an ability, if you like, to treat people, a recurring theme again, with respect. But at the end of the day, you have to get your own way. You have to be, and you have to show that at interview that you are prepared to take on the tough challenges uh, and have a vision for your department and yeah. how you see it uh, and how you would. And of course, having been on the other side of the fence, you can couch it in all the language you like, but attainment is what folk are interested in. That sounds terrible. Parents, they're only interested in attainment. They just so if you're on a an interview panel, uh, you know parents want to know that the school's getting good results. Yeah, and results is attainment. Uh, they want to know their child's going to get the possibly the best experience they can ever get. Um, so I would say having a, a real vision of what you want to do and being and saying that you're prepared to take on the challenges yep. of that. Um, I was another story is you will laugh but don't laugh too loud I was involved we went to start standard grade and I was involved in starting standard grade now Lucy's eyes lit up he thinks that's prehistoric that's what I did I did standard grade you did standard grade yeah so did I well I was involved in actually Starting to get it into the PE departments because it wasn't there before. Remember, so when did that? When did, when did that start? Oh, 1999, right? Around about 19, let me think, would it be about 72? Was it? Around about yeah. there, you're a mile. Uh, but it was, we had to get it into, we had to get it into the, the departments, uh, the standard grade would be there, and then you had to get it into option columns and things like that. So that was a negotiating skill that you needed with your management and if, mm-hmm. if it was a high attaining school not 
high achieving, notice the difference, high attaining school, uh-huh. they weren't that keen on their kids doing PE as a certificate subject because all their kids would be doing seven, seven standard grades. So anyway, the story I'm going to say was about coming back to, I remember we had what was called pat nights, which were once a month you spent an hour and a half in your department after school and it was all professional and everybody had to do it. It was part of your contract. You had to do a pat night and most folk hated it. Um, and I had to introduce standard grade to the department and two of the three of them didn't want to know um, because they were at a stage they wanted PE for enjoyment. I just want to go in and teach whatever comes up my back. I just want to go in and teach that. And, I, and I'm having to say, no, we're going to. And of course, the paperwork and everything that made it was horrendous to begin mm. But I was, they used to come in and they used to set their chairs out in a semicircle to face me. It was like a firing squad. They used to hate they, that night. That must have been so challenging for up, you. No, they threw up every possible hurdle they could mm. have not taken it forward <laughs> and no developing it. And that can happen with curriculum for excellence as well. A lot of schools took it on really quickly and then others held back, held back, held back, thinking it'll never happen, it'll never happen. And then it did. And of course, in came higher still as well. So some schools were double whammied. They got whacked with a whole lot of work for curriculum for excellence. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they had to do higher still. There's always, there's always, there's always some change in the horizon, isn't there? Well, that's right. Um, and as I say, as a principal teacher, you have to have a clear vision in your head about where you want to go and how you want to do it. Um, and you have to get, you have to see the national picture as well. I always, um, I tried at the very least to get one or two national courses or days. So I was getting the big picture. And quite often, um, I, I um, would hear things at dinner time or at breaks when you're chatting to folk. And my, my third, again on that, I always wanted to be a, a moderator for hire. So I, I, I moderated for its inception. Uh, I went out four or five schools. That was a big, you were at a school a bit, but it was well worth it um, because you were getting into other schools and seeing what was going on and hearing. The PE network in South here, in Ayrshire, not South, in Ayrshire, was great. Everybody knows everybody, and you know, we were a, a happy band of brothers and sisters, if you like. PE's like that, we all know that. Everybody um, everybody. Uh-huh. But also, there was a, a just a camaraderie about PE that you don't get in mass departments across. Went to a meeting once and, uh, when we all had to go, and some schools didn't know each other, whereas all the PE teachers knew one another. Mm-hmm. So, but you need to know, it's all about having that vision. Right, good, thanks for sharing those uh, words of wisdom there, George. (laughs) Just me. Right, okay, next then, George. What were your biggest challenges as a coach or a teacher and how did you kind of overcome them? The biggest challenge, I think, is to try and get kids who are not all that able involved in 
making them feel valued. Mm-hmm. And here's the current theme that, it, that runs right through it. And giving them respect and letting them see that you value them, uh, even though they're not very good at what they do. Um, they're in the class, they're a valued member of the class, and um, I, I comes back to my volleyball list. I, I spent most of my time teaching at the bottom end of yeah. the class. Um, it sounds a bit tricky to the bottom end, but I, for example, athletics, if you're at, I don't know if you teach athletics, yeah. but if you teach athletics, it doesn't take, it's not rocket science if you set them out in an 800 metres to know that there's going to be three wee, let's just call them chubby little chappies mm-hmm. who'll get lapped over two laps. Yeah. And, and I used to think that was awful and I tried to avoid it. But if we're, sometimes you have to, be, at the same time, you have to let them see what and let them feel it as well and, mm. and say, well, if you don't want Maybe you should go training, or you maybe should, you know, that kind of thing. But I always took the guys, you we heavy boy coming in last, and his face is absolutely pink, and the sweat's flowing off him, and he's last. And the boy that came in first cruised it because it was easy for him in the class because he, he went to the RC Fourth Athletics Club. So he, he cruised. I spent time praising the wee boy, mm-hmm. because he tried his puff. He really tried hard. And I think that's the ch- that was always the challenge. Yeah, praising the effort. Aye, effort. That's all, you, that's all you can ask for, though. That's, like, that exactly. is, that's one and of my be, like, biggest values. You need to keep reinforcing that. Yeah, exactly. Every time you go in, you go in and you reinforce. It's, a bit, it's effort and commitment mm-hmm. and whatever. And, and, and it's not about... You don't tell them, by the way, I know you're not very good and you can't clap yeah. your hands type thing. I know that. You don't tell them that. Yeah. You set them up with success things. You get them into, so they, they're coming away for the lesson, having had a, maybe a wee bit of fun, a wee bit of enjoyment. And that's a challenge because you're also getting, oh, the challenge in PE has always been that the naysayers, if you like, I'm no doing, you can't yeah. make me. Um, and there's always a challenge of cajoling them and working with them. But I think that comes from just a constant treating them with a bit of respect. Even the yeah. even even the, the little cherubs that are really challenging, you know, even the bullhaws, if you like, you've got to work with them and get them on side. Yeah, definitely. CTPE as well, it's one of those subjects where it clearly illustrates the weaknesses of anybody that's in the class, especially Absolutely. athletics. You can clearly yeah. see, yeah. like, Who's the best and who's no given effort? Absolutely. So that's, that movie makes it quite a daunting subject for kids because and, and in the classroom you can hide and get away with yeah, it. That's right. Mm. Well, there's a fam- there's a famous story of the boy uh, that I I, I taught, uh, and he just he just made I dealt with him a lot as a deputy. Let's just say he was in my office a lot, um, but I, he would get into a class and immediately kick off, so that when they get asked questions, because if he, did, if he never was in the class, nobody knew he couldn't do it. So he went in, and as soon as it got near his time to get asked a question or to produce work, he just kicked off. He yeah, ended so up in The class carried on. Nobody ever knew that he couldn't. I'm not going to go and say read and write, but very nearly. Right. Yeah. So he masked that 
a bad uh, behaviour. That's a bit of a disguise, isn't it? Yeah. And the other thing that I used to spend a lot of time on was we moved to Coed. In the early days, it wasn't Coed. Then we moved to Coed. What could be worse than a wee girl who has totally uh, no self totally self-conscious about her looks and her body shape and all of that and I'm throwing her into a class with third year boys or student year boys uh, and they crawl into the gym with their backs to the wall and they're so and it's been that was a challenge that was a big challenge um, and kids can be sore in one another so mm-hmm. it's all about generating a feeling of that doesn't happen so try to get that environment right though isn't it where it is inclusive it's not easy and, uh, I, that's that's one of the, that's one of the, the hardest things that I think, and mm-hmm. and that's especially with a PE class when the, the ability levels and stuff are just so so diverse and so mixed, and the the more able pupils they, they tend to get annoyed at the less able ones, like in a, in a game of volleyball or something. That's right, because you can't get the game going. And that's yeah. just another just a totally other element of the and, job and, that you need to try in, and manage. And throw into that a couple of riches that yeah. just having a but deliberately making life hard for you and for everybody by being wee wretches. <coughs> so did you did you stream your classes then to avoid that sort of different ability in your lessons? We we didn't the timetable did a wee bit when we got half year groups down, we would yep. try and stream them a wee bit. But I I would say we stream the stream was within the class. Like we didn't if if it was a games hall and there was three at Belmont, there was maybe five classes coming down at once. Uh-huh. We did. We didn't stream the five because we, we did it in some activities, but not all. Right. But okay. What I would have, I, I, I tried to mix some in ability groups within the class, so that we did. It's a shade of difference, but ability groups rather than streaming out now. Ability groups, yeah. And if if we were going to stream them, you would stream them for a particular activity. Right. You wouldn't stream them for the whole year. Ah, I know so, what you mean. Uh, you didn't get the best the football, and you kept them all year because yep. they might not be good at gymnastics. Yep, yep. So you you, but then the difficulty with that is how do you test them? How do you decide? So. Mm. Within a class, it's very fluid. Folk move up, folk move down, and that was that was my way of it. Right. Uh, so, what's your thoughts on the? Obviously, there's a big push on attachment theory now, where if kids are misbehaving in your class or there's, they're displaying like unusual characteristics or behaviour, then you have to try and sort of investigate it and work out why they're behaving in such a way. So it's all sort of looking into trauma and you know early life, early. Adverse childhood experiences. Jenkins. My daughter's my daughter's big in aces. Aye, aye. So we've had someone talk. So, so what was it like? What was it like when you taught? Then was it was it just kids misbehaving? You just put it into misbehaviour, or was it was there not a bigger push on that side that when you were teaching? Oh, times have moved on. Uh, horrendous difference in, in what 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 was in my day, right up. Um, I, I, st- I, was, I became a deputy in 2000 uh, as an acting and that kind of changed and in, in how things were perceived and, and how I was perceiving things yeah. um, because my main home 
was in a, a very, very deprived area. Another story was that uh, I went to an in-service um, and I said I was from here went at lunchtime with a group of Glasgow guys from Postal and places like that. And they were almost not going to speak to me as if I was from the leafy suburbs. And then I told them that we'd 42% free school meals. Suddenly I was their pal because <laughs> <laughs> they could relate to me. Uh-huh. Um, there is a huge correlation between deprivation and that kind of thing. I mean, some of the, the, the life stories of some of these youngsters is just frightening. No, no, and when you become oh, PT guidance or a, a deputy, it's when it, you really understand get that. to see. And yeah. some subject teachers have no clue. No, no clue. Like, I don't know what's going on. Now, a, a good example is um, teachers uh, phoning me up and saying, I'm having real brother with us because he'll not bring a pencil or he's not got a pencil or whatever. And I'm going, are you joking me? This wee boy has got up in the morning and made the, made, made the breakfast for the, the weird ones. He's taking them to primary school. He's getting things sorted and he's managing to get into school. And you're worried that he hasn't got a pencil. And so... Start, I think that has got a lot, a lot better. I, I do think that has got a lot better. Staff are more aware yeah, definitely. of what goes on. Um, yeah. But um, my daughter, as I say, she believes that ACs, yeah, there's always some... There's always a reason behind the behaviour. It's trying to get the balance between, like, I, I feel anyway, um, like, for example, if you're doing, you get like a National 5 class and you're maybe doing something that involves a bit of written work and if some is finding out the pupils that maybe genuinely do not, like like the example you just gave there, are the ones that are just being disorganised and actually trying to teach them good life skills about personal organisation mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because yes, definitely. It's just, I think it's just trying to find the balance and obviously, I suppose, liaising with guidance teachers and stuff like that uh-huh. because you can sometimes set them up for a, a fail as well if you're, yeah. if you're not coming down on, on certain wee things like that too. That's, that, that's, that's the fine line you guys have to tread now. You have to, yeah. on the one hand, I do think you can allow yourself to be soft because at the I would never have back in the day if a kid didn't turn up for an exam, go out and get them. I think you have to because folks sit back and let other folk do their work. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about the wee boy who's if 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 he knows you're gonna do everything for him, he'll let you. Yeah. So that you have to there there is a line that you have to see, do you have to take responsibility? for yourself, I'll help you, but you have to do a lot of it yourself. Um, and it's just a very difficult balance. Um, and there's so many other extremists, you'll say self-harming and all the things. I never had to deal with social media all of that much. Yeah, that's true. In the early days, it was texting. Parents coming in and saying, he's getting bullied because they're texting coming in and the texts are coming in during the night and all that sort of stuff and switch the phone off. But nowadays, it's much more severe, the social media aspect of things. Yeah, they're exposed to so much more, aren't they? Oh, and they're exposed to... And all that sort of stuff. You have a much more difficult job, I think, than than I did. So do you think schools 20, 30 years ago weren't they getting it right for the kids then? If 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 there were still issues like that back in the day, maybe no... It just seems like it's different issues now, but like I, 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 I think, think it's social media driven then. 
there's a there's a a me culture in society. Um, yeah, and, I agree with and that. There's a victim. There's very much a victim culture. Yeah. That everybody this will sound like I'm right wing and I'm not at all. But everybody's expecting that somebody will it's somebody to blame. There's yeah. a blame culture. It's somebody mm-hmm. else's fault. Mm-hmm. It's never that person's fault. Yeah. Um and I I've used this as well. X Factor or Britain's Got Talent. Why are you in it? because uh, I want to. I want to be. I wanna be. But nobody says, but you're hopeless. Well, but I want to be. And 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 the really good ones, if you drill in and I'll go back to the tennis player, we'll, we'll find out in the next week's just how much training and stuff she did. But mm. all the good singers and all the good jugglers and whatever, if you drill into it, they've all worked their socks off yeah. uh, at some stage. Mm-hmm. Whereas folk think, I want to be, and there's also a, a, a perception of image, body image and stuff that's horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think, you, as I say, your culture, television, all that, huge nice. debates and television now about wokeism and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing is... You just get so much easier, easier access to all this different information. Uh-huh. And we, 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 it, crazy. It, 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 it comes back as well to... Um, this, uh, what's it called? Uh, when you you put somebody out of something, uh, I've lost the word. Exclude them. No, I like these philosophers and stuff that did things back in the day, and they now they're getting put out. You're not allowed to hear their opinions. Um, cancel can't, the cancel culture is uh, big. You know, you you, you can't. You can't take back what we did. Lots of things we did was brutal. What I did, I would think, shut my eyes and say, did I really do that? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, but in the day, it was the thing you did. Mm-hmm. Um, am I pleased to say that I used the belt? Mm. I hated doing it, but I did it. Uh, some folks, some, and that's again, some teachers took delight in doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I hated it. I didn't like doing it, but it was just... What you did? Did it work? That was the system. Corporal punishment was there. And it it kind of moves on. And as I say, teaching the curriculum. Back in the day, I knew a principal teacher of a senior secondary school, which was senior secondary meant it was selective. And they just did rugby, athletics and gymnastics. That was it. Mm. And nobody got to play football. And there was no football teams. So, I mean, that was the culture back back at that time. Uh, and it's evolved, and we've all evolved, and you'll evolve, and you'll deal with... And you, you, you'll be much more skillful at dealing with a lot of these social pressures than we did, what we dealt with we saw. We dealt with what we saw at the time. Yeah, very tough job, but rewarding, I suppose, as well. Um, we'll probably we'll probably look back on some of the stuff that we did just now, cut button years to come and be like, I do, like, yeah, do it every night. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Normally after yeah. the weekend. Uh, <laughs> Hi. Some of the Monday stuff, morning. Well 
because I've not even remembered this story for 40 odd years. We're driving past one of the things we had to do at college where a week uh, outward bound in outdoor education and we're going up to Helmsborough from Jordan Hill and, and the minibus and you go past some of the schools in Easter and Dumchapel and uh, the, the, the boys in the bus all burst out laughing because it was the worst experience of the lot. Uh, um, they all burst out laughing because the, the teacher was out in a blaze in his suit. And of course, that was just a huge no-no. And, every, and the, the lecturer that was driving the bus went ballistic. He said, you cannot, you don't know the circumstances to any of us. But that was us, and that's the perception. The PE teacher was out teaching in his suit, <laughs> but he maybe he maybe get caught with parents. He was you just don't know why. But the change in days, I mean, culture and traditions. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to take a bag as a student. I had to take a bag with four different sets of clothes to teach in a day. Did you? Uh huh. We had different set of clothes for swimming pool. Uh huh. We had a different set of clothes for the gymnastics. We had a different set of clothes if we were going to go outside. And we had a different set for games. So if I was swimming, it was shorts and a white shirt. If it was gymnastics, it was long blue trousers and absolutely perfect white gym shoes. Uh, rugby, you had to take a rugby shirt and a football shirt and different shorts in your boots. So you had to do that, and you, you had to change every lesson so that you were appropriately dressed for the lesson you were teaching. And you had to go into college, into the school with a column tie on. Oh my goodness. That, <laughs> that is crazy. That must, have took up, that must have took up yeah, into so much teaching yeah. time getting changed and all that. Yeah, well, like, it's, it's, it's busy enough, isn't it? It's crazy. If, if you were <clears> lucky, you had back to back the same subject. But mm. if, you, if you were new, you had to change into whatever the, the and, and was that was that like a, was that a blanket thing across? Or was that just certain schools? No, no, that was just, no, that was the students. That, oh, the students. Uh huh. I was oh, a student. Call on tie. Call on tie to get into school. My days. I suppose that gives um, them that discipline that they need to stick to. Everybody knew the PE student because they all carried big bags because <laughs> <laughs> they had. Well, they changed the various, Change your kit. Imagine trying to do that now, Clark. I know. Well, <laughs> hard enough trying to get the kids to bring their kit and the teachers. Well, that, and, 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 it was relatively, no, not real, maybe a few years ago now that PE staff started coming in and not coming in in civic clothes and getting changed once they were in. Uh-huh. Change days. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's good hearing those stories, though. I don't know. You know, it's been it's been brilliant. Hearing about them. It's brilliant. Yeah, me too. It's been really interesting hearing um, what it was like back when you were teaching George. Back in the day. Back in the Middle Ages. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, just last question from me then, from the main part of the podcast. Okay. Looking looking back again down memory lane, what was your sort of best memory as a as a player, um, as as a footballer, and and why? Because we did hear, we did, we did hear that you once had the hardest shot in Scotland, but we were thinking maybe Alberts would be up there as well, no? <laughs> Who? <laughs> George Alberts. <laughs> Hammer. Uh, no. No. Um, Easy beat him. The, the, 
the hardest shot one was the, the Daily Record ran a competition right. um, to see who had the hardest shot in Scotland. And each of the Premier League teams sent a player. Right. Uh, and I was sent from Kilmarnock. Yep. So Glasgow Uni set up uh, two laser beams, I think about a metre apart. Uh-huh. Uh, and you just had to fire the ball into an open net from the penalty spot. Well, it's 18 yard line. And there was two beams, one just in front, and then one maybe half a metre beyond it. Yep. So the ball cut the beam, cut the beam. And that gave the unique the guys the speed. And that was it. So, and then everybody got a warm up, and then everybody got a few shots, three shots, I think, or six, three. And right. I won. That was not record. Well, the, the funny thing, <laughs> we were at the bottom of the league uh, at the time, so the daily record never ran it again. They wanted somebody from Celtic or Rangers to win it, ah, as ever. <laughs> so right. it never get ran again. So, uh, so, so when was that? You got sent, what year would that have been? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I need really? to look it up. I need to, I don't know. A way back, uh, maybe 74, 75, some thereabouts. But it was good. I mean... And the United sent Hamish McAlpin, uh, Celtic McCluskey, um, Ali Dawson, I think, was from Rangers. Oh, was it? Uh, so it, it was kind of folk like that that mm-hmm. were all there. So there's one from every, every place. Uh, Mark every... McGee was from Aberdeen. Right. Ian Jarden was from Partick Thistle. Yeah. And Ian was, had been with me, Kilmarnock, man. He, he could fail. He, I thought he would beat me, and he uh-huh. just missed out. I you're, right, you're right footed, left footed. Right footed, yeah. Right. But the, the, so the main enjoyable, I think, and this is maybe because I was young and, and daft and impressionable, but the 72 73 time ish Kilmarnock were a big club, big, uh, or top four in the first division. So I was getting into a, a squad of players that were all. Into, well, Billy Dixon, Tommy McLean, Jim McLean, played right. him briefly. Yeah. Uh, um, Jackie McGrory, Frank Beatty, Andy King. Was it the McLean? Were well, those McLean? Were they brothers? The McLean. Uh, uh, that's that's and who Craig Brown was speaking. Some brothers. Willie McLean, yeah. who was the manager of Air United and Motherwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were just three brothers. Um, said that was the, the most knowledgeable football family you'd ever met. Craig Brown said that. On that's right. Yeah. Well, well, Craig worked with Willie. I think Craig was Willie's assistant at Motherwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he worked with... Uh, the word was Willie had a photographic memory of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, he was... Um, he could come in at half-time and say this, that, that, that to the players. Oh, I never... But, I think what they all had in common was they were quite crabbit. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I know Jim was. Jim, uh, Jim very demanding. Oh, he was, he was crabbit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I was in that, and, and at that time, when I was at college, there's another wee story for you. Um, my mum, believe it or not, had to phone up my teaching practice school, which was Smithycroft in the mm-hmm. east end of Glasgow. Now, we've had someone on for that school. Under the walls of Berlini. That was like, I can tell you another story about that, if you like. Uh-huh. Um, we, we, uh, my mum had to phone up and say that I couldn't 
come into teaching practice because I was going to Romania to play in the first cup. Really? <laughs> so, and that was just one of the most memorable experiences. Um, right. Playing in you, playing in the first, playing in Romania. I got the last thirty minutes. I think in twenty minutes. And what's the Romania. first cup? Is that sorry? What's the first cup again? What's that? That's that. Would, that would be the UEFA. UEFA Cup. Ah, right. Right, okay. Uh, back in the day, it was the Cup Winners' Cup, European Cup, and then the Fierce yeah. Cup. Right. And but back in the day, you have to remember we were playing against teams. Celtic just won the European Cup. Rangers had just won the Cup Winners' Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we play them on a weekly basis. We were playing them. We, they, we were playing against the really big sides. Uh, yeah, um, in Europe, yeah. that was our sort of. So there was that time, and that got there was once we had a really good run in the Scottish Cup. We got to the semi final, and that was quite memorable. And then the club went part time, and right. it kind of slipped down the leagues a bit. And then no. for a while, it was in the kind of doldrums. So that was yeah, that was definitely no. a. Brilliant. Memorable. I'm sure it was. I Lewis, just when we were talking about uh, George having the hardest shot, are you going to tell him what you're trying doing a night out? What is it? You put the money into the, the punch machine, see who's got the hardest punch? <laughs> <laughs> Does that like, like Santa's out of the night? Oh, aye, aye, no bother. No bother. You've, <laughs> you've done me there. <laughs> Guaranteed for a broken knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> no, he spent a, ter- a terror on Saturday, did he? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, brilliant. Um, nothing, well, that's how I just kind of finished the main part of the podcast, okay. then, George. Um, thanks very much for your, your insights and experience. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Lewis, I'll move on to the, the quick fire round now. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> if, if I can get a chance to get one back on you, I, I'm pretty sure I will. But anyway, right, George. So every obviously every, after every every podcast, we've got three quick fire questions um, just for a wee bit of fun with all the guests. So okay, are, are you ready? Go for it. Okay, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? I think it would say. The harder I work, the luckier I am. I love that one. Brilliant. That's good. Number two, which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life? I would say the senior players in the early days uh, were very good. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'll mention names. Andy King, Jim McFadgen. Jim McFadgen was a PE teacher and he took me before I even went uh, to college. He took me up to his school, left me stranded with 30 primary sevens <laughs> as a joke. Um, but he took me under his wing. So there was uh, Andy King, Jim McFadgen, these skinny folk who the senior players of the day. So they had an, uh, quite a big influence. Plus, I said earlier, back in the earlier times, Dave Sneddon and the, yeah. the managers through the years. Yeah, but, shaped you into the kind of coach and teacher that you, you were. Ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Number three then, final one. What advice would you give to a young football coach who is wanting to work full-time in professional football? I think the, 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 what, they've got, what you've got to do nowadays is you've got to do work hard and do your homework and get involved and, and learn from the experienced people. But do your, do your badges, do your coaching, but also try and get involved with people who've been around the block. You don't necessarily need to take everything they say, 
but I go on a Wednesday morning and listen to Archie Knox and Craig Brown and Willie McLean and Jim McSherry and folk like that. And they put their knowledge as huge. So the idea is that you, 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 if you want to work in the professional game, you've got to do your homework and you've got mm-hmm. to get your qualifications nowadays. That's a given. Yeah. Uh, but it's all changing. I mean, I look at some of that stuff when you, you read the backroom staff at these places where you've got video video analysis and you've got professional with us trainers and you've got dietitians and you've got yeah. there's a whole range of folk behind the scenes now. So many means. No, back in my day you had the manager, the trainer. They were the only two in the dugout. Mm-hmm. There wasn't even an assistant manager half yeah. the time. Because the assistant manager was away with the reserves. Uh, if we were at, if I was playing the first team at Command Dundee at Rugby Park. The assistant manager was at Dens Park, mm-hmm. the reserves. <clears throat> so a different world now. And all the technology. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll get one last soapbox, if you like. I yeah. think the analysis and anal- analysts, I think it's only proper to a degree. I mm-hmm. think, I don't think you can measure innate awareness mm-hmm. and decision um, making you can't measure that either you, you can't like, you can't measure and how awareness of what's around you um you also can't measure in a game i mean i watched england poland the other night and the stats come up england have 60 percent of the play mm-hmm. so the inference is england are in top but in actual fact if you watch the game i would say probably about 30 percent of that 60 England were playing it across the back, going nowhere. Yeah. And 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 that's where they field against Scotland when they played them. England are not good. They're, they're not particularly good at getting forward. They play a huge amount at the back and rely on somebody like Stirling or to an extent now Grealish um, to to do something. But right. the stats don't show that. The stats yeah. will be, and I think another one is a good example. A, mm. a fullback who just never gets quite to where makes lots of runs, but just now he could be just managing not to get there. If you know what I mean, that's been cynical. You have to stats don't can hide a whole. Yeah, you know if you don't get the ball, you're not going to make many passes wrong. Mm. If you don't take it in, like I always remember, there was a guy playing for. United, Billy Walker, he would always take the ball, even when he was under pressure. Just give it to me. Mm. And there was a guy, Kilmarnock, who, when I started, he said, look, just give me the ball and I'll lose it. Now, if you're doing the stats, my stats will be brilliant because I'm making a pass to him. But he's the one that's losing it because he's in, you've got, he's got me out of a hole. Yeah, yeah. He's taking it. Whereas other players can say, oh, don't give it to me, I'm covered. They go and stand beside somebody to yeah. be covered. You know? I know. They can read too that's much. That. Anyway, that's... Yeah, it's interesting though, it doesn't always reflect the actual, no, the actual game properly. No, it doesn't mm-hmm. at all. You could probably um, end up over-analysing it, can you? Sorry? You could probably end up over-analysing it. Like the stats in terms of how much running they've done in passes. Stats can prove what you want them to prove. Yeah. And, and in football, because it's so subjective, um, 
you, you, you can get lost in the stats. I think, there's, there's, I, I, think, I think there's a time and a place for it. Like, for example, it could be even just for like things like penalties and if there's like common theme or common patterns of play that certain teams oh, mostly play, all that sort of stuff. But uh-huh. in terms of like what you're saying, it doesn't really, you, you can't measure certain things. Yeah, also, if you're watching a game, if you, have you ever, well, if you go to a game and see the game, you can have a totally different reflection on it than having watched it on television mm-hmm. and watching the playbacks because you get a feeling of how the game's going. You get a feeling about mm-hmm. how the players are reacting to each other and where the wee nippy bits are and who's not getting on with Sunday and all the bits that make the game the wonderful game that it is. Mm-hmm. And that's why we go and watch live because you're, you're getting that feeling. The atmosphere. Um, you can't measure it. Yeah. You can't you measure when the hair stand in the back of your head mm-hmm. uh, when it's there. You, you can't measure that. But you can measure some things. Yeah. How many runs did they make? How many this and that? And they've got their yeah. backpacks on telling them what their heart rate was and how many runs they made and stuff. What's the point making 30 runs if 29 of them were a waste of time? Yeah. Uh, if somebody would, make, uh, somebody would make two or three runs, but if they're all really valuable... It's got more of an impact on the game, hasn't it? Of course it has. Mm. And same if... I, I was always sort of given the, the title of giving the ball away too much. If you don't try things, yeah. Then, but then maybe one in one in a hundred in my case, maybe. But if if two and three passes split the defence or make a, an assist, then you're doing as a midfielder. You're being creative. Mm-hmm. If you're always worried about your stats, quite often you'll take the easy option. Yeah, my place. That was the Ray Wilkins one. He did a lap of honour if he made a pass forward. He always passed it sideways or backwards. <laughs> well, so they said. That's an Archie Knox always goes on about it. That's obviously what, not about Wilkins, but he goes on about um, the fact that where you put pressure on other teams is when defenders and midfielders run forward or go forward. Mm. Well, I was just saying Barry yeah. Ferguson used to get called that as well, back pass Barry. Mm-hmm. But if you if you watch Belgium and all that, how they play is so different. They play passy passy at the back, hoping to draw it the other team. Yeah, I had to make that pass different in game. mind. Yeah, Aye, different game. Uh, however, oh, well, just, sorry, on you go. Oh, that's just a perception from uh-huh. my. But I know I, I speak to quite a few of the older guys, and that's what they say. The game now is. Almost boring. Like, yeah. It's almost like too tactical, isn't it? Like, it's just uh-huh. tactical. Come on up and Hibs. Come on up, get the ball. Hibs go back to their 18 yard line and wait. Start again. And come on up. There are two defenders. I've got nobody near them. I've got no. So they can make lovely passes all day because there's nobody pressing them. Yeah. And then they try and make passes. Hibs get the ball and come on up, go back. And then they wait until somebody. I know, it's just cat and mouse. That, that different style. Mm-hmm. The high pressing and stuff like that happens sometimes, but not a lot of teams are good at it because they're scared to leave holes in behind if they high press. 
Yeah, Annoy, annoys me when they don't get shots off. See when they're right outside the box and they don't, like, just at 18 yards, nine, maybe 20 yards out and they don't shoot. Huh? Well, if you've got four and four, if they're playing five, well, a lot of them are playing three, three at the back, and then it, that becomes a five. So you've got eight or nine players all within 25 yards. So hard to break hard through. Different world. <laughs> well, George, I just want to say thanks very much for coming on again. That's been no a, a good solid almost an hour and a half, I think, of your time oh, you've got for us tonight. It? So My it's goodness. been great to, to come on and hear you. I hope I haven't bored you. No, no, no absolutely no, not. It's been, quite, it's been quite and a half. It's brilliant. Um, just, just reminiscing about your time as a player and uh, yeah, yeah. as a PE teacher and stuff like that as well. So thanks a lot from, from the no, both of us. Thanks very on. much, George. No, pleasure. Uh, what I would say is good luck to you in your careers. And always be ambitious. Always look. Moving yep, on. Do. Uh, and do what it needs to do. But I'm sure you will. But best of luck in your future. And if Please you want anything that. else at all, just give me a buzz. Send me an email. I don't check them too often anymore because I don't need to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but text or whatever and I'll get back to you if you need anything or whatever. But Thanks good luck much. in the future. Appreciate uh, it. And I hope it goes well. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.